Today is the 22nd of the 10th, 1998. The talk is on the chakras, the doorways to perception, or the doorways to higher perception, doorways to everything that is. This particular subject is the subject that is the most glamour of all the subjects in the New Age occult movement. There are so many teachings and philosophies and people running around with incredible emotions and lots of pride and terrible ideas about the chakras. They think in terms of balancing the chakras, in terms of healing by means of the chakras. They think in terms of cleaning yoga and developing of psychic powers and all the rest of their, their head is a spin with concepts of chakras and colours and what the chakras can do and the way they can be awakened and so forth. Most of it is quite bewildering to a lot of new beginners, of course, all these teachings concerning chakras. You have the teachings from the Hindu texts and from Buddhism and from Taoism, of course, and Western Kabbalistic sources. The chakras exist. They are inherent wherever there is manifest form, wherever there is life. Within the human beings, most people think of seven principal chakras as depicted in the Hindu books. The Buddhists take the same symbolism as depicted there. They haven't adapted or changed that much. And from that you get um, all the various distortions of the basic teachings given in Western New Age texts. Very little of it having any real truth. Everything is ordered according to chakras. The stars up there are simply chakras manifesting in the body of great beings, great logi. The earth system has its own chakra system. The nadis are lines of energy that relate the petals of a flower of a chakra. The nadis are seen in, in the Celtic mythology as ley lines and the Chinese mythology as dragon lines. Geodesics and much to do with earth magic. Most Aboriginal people can see these lines of energy traversing the earth. And where there's seven or more of these lines of energy crossing each other, there's formed a chakra, a minor chakra. And where there's 21 or more of these lines of energy, there's a major chakra, a major flower. That is part of the technicality of a chakra, what they are, just simply flowers of energy that arise where lines of energy crisscross and they produce energy vortices, happening inside and outside of the body. In this life I've been studying chakras for more than 30 years and also in my past lives, virtually every life I can remember, I've been involved in this quest of understanding what chakras are and the way of the unfoldments. It's a vast subject and I can say quite clearly um, that our lunatic asylums are almost exclusively filled up with people who've played around with chakras in former lives and have misused their powers not understanding what they are or how those energies are evoked. Myriads are the insane that have played around these fires associated with these 
flowers. Some of you have heard of spontaneous human combustion. It's the same sort of thing. Again, the power of these chakras awakening without the individual understanding how to control it. In this particular, these particular cases, it's uh, got to do with certain weaknesses inherent within the ethereal constitution of the individual. I'm only giving this talk not just to the few people here, but hopefully to the millions that will later read or listen to the tapes. Not enough information is given in a New Age movements as to the dangers, but myriads are those that are glamoured by them. There's hardly an occult book in the East, in Eastern sources, whether it's Hinduism or Buddhism, that does not speak of the dangers associated with these flowers in their premature awakening. Drug, sex and yoga is the surest way to opening up doorways to hell. Um, you get your momentary pleasures, you, know, you get your momentary psychic powers, and you can manipulate other people's minds and emotions and desire bodies um, with what you've awakened. But you pay a great karmic cost for it. The karma is quite horrendous, which I'll try to explain a little bit more. So in a sense, I'm trying to warn of the dangers more than anything else, and then I'll give some more information concerning chakras. I'm going to read out from... Foundations of Tibetan Mysticism by Lama Agrinika Govinda. He's probably one of the best authors on Buddhism, on Tibetan Buddhism there is. He was a Westerner that um, found Theravada Buddhism and then became a Lama in the Tibetan system long before Tibet was invaded. In his book on page 144-5 we have diagrams of the traditional way that the chakras are depicted in Hindu and Buddhist philosophy with Sanskrit lettering on each of the petals. And this traditional way is quite fine to give an overall idea, overall idea of the symbolism associated with chakras. Most people have heard of the Kundalini fire, the energy that's liberated at the base of the spine for those that's uh, desirous of the liberation of energy. I'll go straight into this particular subject of Kundalini and essentially it's the fires of the mother that keeps everything into a coherent shape. It keeps you warm, this energy, at the base of the spine in the junction where the sacral centre and the base of the spine centre overlap. If you want the Sanskrit terminologies, the Svadhisthana and the Muladhara Chakra overlap. This diagram I've got on this computer is the point of overlapping of those two chakras. And if you look at the intricacy of the diagram, you'll find that at the very centre is a type of acorn that's formed. There's two other chakras I haven't put there, which I call the gonad centres. Those two chakras, with these two chakras, four chakras together must turn, and these four chakras together um, point, um, produce a point of fusion where the Kundalini fire is actually evoked. The subject is actually quite a vast one um, to properly understand. But if you look at the, the computer screen here, you'll see the intricacies of those two particular chakras, the simplest in the body as far as the major centres go. The Kundalini fire is the place of latent heat. It is the energy that sustains the form, that keeps the form coherent into a shape. It's the 
and it is stored in what is essentially a nuclear reactor. And uh, it's these four chakras I've just mentioned that hold that fire into place. The fire is seven sheathed, in other words, there's seven levels to it. And what people talk about when they glibly mention Kundalini fire, they're simply talking about the most exoteric and the coarsest of these energies, of these fiery energies, that which sustains the form, that which keeps the form alive, that which warms it. Sex, drugs and yoga um, can only ever awaken that aspect of the form, that aspect of these fires, and these fires, once awakened, go to the line of least resistance. Wherever is the weakness in the body, that is where the fires go to. They burn and destroy the tissue of the brain, they burn and cut through the tissue of the physical body. They generally get sunk into the sacral centre, into the sexual organs, and they can turn that person quite demonic, sexually at least. There's all sorts of problems with the premature waking of this particular centre. Insanity is often the quickest way out for the incarnating soul um, for such a person to go. Generally you find these people, the, the onsets of insanity coming as they become more and more schizophrenic. Very black, very white, very black. Very extreme emotions and violent emotions and then nice and loving at the next moment of their existence. When you find these types of people in life, you find that they are ones that have tankered with this, or tinkered with this energy in a former life, or they're playing it with this life. Superficial, very nice, but inwardly quite demonic. They can barely control the energies that they are playing with. For this reason, and for this reason only, or for many other reasons, the information concerning the chakras has only ever been given in a garbled form, in symbolic form, in books such as this, or in the Hindu treatises on the chakras. Highly veiled, totally symbolic, information. No enlightened person, no being of love, would ever give information out to um, foolish individuals. People who are not controlling their emotions, who are not controlling their minds, who are not producing a very pure lifestyle, who are not cleansing out of their emotions, out of their minds, all forms of drugs, physiological drugs, mental drugs, emotional drugs, so that there's nothing in them that kundalini fire can burn and consume as it drives you insane. The karma of the teacher is enormous if he gives out erroneous teachings to students and the student follows those teachings. Or if the teacher gives to the students information that will turn that student psychically sick or if it gives information to the student that will make of that student a black magician, one who still has selfish attitudes, one who is still very desirous of such things as sex and the opposite part and such things as material wealth and all those sorts of things. Because that is what Kundalini fire is any prostituted to, sex magic or power or dominance of that individual over the world around them. The teacher is responsible for the karma of such a student. After all, the teacher gave it. 
Therefore, any wise teacher will never ever give information that will cause that teacher to reincarnate again and again and again and again, cleaning up the messes left by his students. Or students, if the students are enormous. Nor can the information ever be put in the book. The only information that can be put in the book is safe information. Information that any one normal person reading the book will not be able to use that information to awaken those chakras. It's that simple. Otherwise, the author of the book is liable for the karma of the many, many foolish people who will try to use the powers awakened or the psychic powers awakened um, thereof for their own selfish purpose. And yet we see the millions in the West, these New Ages, running around talking about chakra balancing, etc., and chakra healing. Where do they get the information from? They don't get it from enlightened being. They don't get it from the wise. Of course, there's our brothers of the dark path, the black magicians and the sorcerers. It's to their advantage, greatly to their advantage, that we have a lot of psychic, deluded people around because they can manipulate them for their own purposes. They can drain energy off them, drain prana, prana off them, vampirize them. That's what a vampire is. It draws prana from you. And then there are myriads. This is a subject that should be well understood by the masses out there. I don't see coming to a class such as this um, those people who are seriously interested in the waking of chakras. They think they really know it all. Why do you think that if you go to a fully enlightened being such as, for instance, Milarepa or Jesus or the Buddha, those beings that went to these fully enlightened beings, these liberated beings of great powers, spent something like 20 years with them, or more, in seclusion, cleansing their sheaths, controlling their minds, developing their minds properly, controlling their emotions, absolutely, producing very pure lifestyle, the lifestyle of the yogi, not the um, chara-smoking yogi. That's not a pure lifestyle. That does not lead to liberation. There's no enlightened being that's ever gotten enlightenment that way. The Buddha demonstrated that two and a half thousand years ago. He threw all of that away, likewise with Jesus. You can go to saint after saint in Hinduism or Christianity and you'll find that all of them throw those things away. They lead to lower psychic powers, to psychic delusion, not to liberation, not to great spiritual knowledge, not to great heights of revelation. You can't talk to great diva lords through drugs. You can talk to demonic type entities and you can get some nice visual impressions, nice lights in your brain because your brain distorts and scatters or distorts what you see anyway. Yes, 20 years with somebody like Milarepa or Tsongkhapa or Padmasamhavna or Shivananda or whoever you wish to go to, that are the genuinely accredited enlightened beings, learning how to purify yourself, learning how to be totally loving. First you become love, an embodiment of love. And only once everything that you do is founded and seated in love, only then can you be given the knowledge as to the awakening of the chakras. The old occult school of Pythagoras, Pythagoras of Crotona, 
um, demanded that any novitiate, any new person entering into that monastery there would spend two whole years scrubbing floors, cleaning up the toilets and things like that. Before, in absolute silence, they had to demonstrate that they would not speak for two years, doing the most menial chores before they were given occult information, before they were given this type of information. There's reasons for it. The black magicians, yes, they'll give you all sorts of information, Jenny and Kabbalistic texts, as to the awakening of psychic powers, because that's what they want of you. Because as you selfishly awaken these types of awarenesses within you, these lower psychic powers, then they can use you for their own purposes. You become a pawn of theirs. They have great power and great knowledge and know how to manipulate everyone. Those that are masters of wisdom know you first of all learn how to develop love. First of all learn how to control your personality, how to control your emotions. Absolutely essential. Without controlled emotions, how can you ever deal with energies? And all the chakras are are the doorways to high and high energy states. So when you tinker with these flowers and you start to force them open through the use of the will, magical techniques, what you do, you open yourself up to high energy states. Energy goes to the line of least resistance. Wherever the weakest part of your body is, wherever the weakest aspect of your mind is, the weakest portion of your emotional body, that's where those energies go to. They feed those things very quickly, very intensely. Besides, the chakras evolve and awaken on their own accord according to the laws associated with them, not according to the will of the individual concerned. You can use the will only to awaken certain of the minor chakras and certain below the diaphragm, the heart chakra, for instance, cannot in any way be awakened. It can only be awakened through love and through the power of love and through the law of love properly understood. No forms of imaginations or drugs or dreaming about it or willful sort of projections can do anything with that chakra. What most people think is the heart uh, when they have beautiful experiences through drugs or whatever, it's really the solar plexus. It's really the energy of the, well, the Svadhisthana or the, you know, the solar plexus center. It's really the energy of the solar plexus center because this particular center here in the stomach is that which controls the emotions, all the emotions, all aspects of the emotions. And all minor chakras lead to the solar plexus. The old aphorism is all roads lead to Rome and the aphorism in the world of spiritual reality is all nadis, all chakras, all the minor centers, all the nadis thereof, lead to the solar plexus. It's the abdominal brain. It's the big head center of animals, of dogs, for instance. Dogs are pure solar plexi. When people play with solar plexus magic, they're simply recoursing to the state of perception of an animal, of a dog. That's from the higher perceptions, from the higher vision. Of course, you add to that human-like qualities. There's a difference between what I call lower psychic or the lower psyche, lower psychic phenomena and higher spiritual perceptions. Lower psychic phenomena, you can awaken to the force of will, you can get into through drugs and things like that, but it keeps you trapped into the world of illusion, the world of form, into karma and karma producing activities, into glamour, into maya. It keeps you away from the spiritual realms, from the great supernal heights of enlightened being from great wisdom from great storehouses of knowledge from the knowledge 
gain from all your past lives and the future as well. It simply keeps you immersed in what we call the illusion, the great samsara. So, yes, the chakras are real and the chakras are ways to high perceptions but they also ways to psychic death and masses of personal karma. I'll just read out a little bit of Govinda's book on Kundalini. This is a bit technical. The lowest of these centers, which represents the element earth, is called the Muladhara Chakra, root support, and is situated at the base of the spinal column. It corresponds to the plexus pelvis in Western psychology, physiology, contains a still unqualified primordial vital energy, which serves either the function of physical reproduction and rejuvenation or brings about the sublimation of those forces into spiritual potentialities. The latent energy of this centre is depicted in the dorm- as the dormant force of the goddess Kundalini, who as the Shakti of Brahma embodies the potentiality of nature, whose effects may be either divine or demonical. The wise who control these forces may reach through them the highest spiritual power and perfection, while those who ignorantly release them, will be destroyed by them. Just as the primordial forces locked up in the atom can be utilised for the benefit as well as for the destruction of humanity, so the forces which dwell in the human body may lead to liberation as well as to bondage, towards the light as well as into utter darkness. Only with perfect self-control and clear knowledge of the nature of these forces can the yogi dare to arouse them and the word here is dare to arouse them. The directions for their awakening are therefore given in religious literature in such a way that only those who have been initiated by a competent guru in accordance with the rules which have been formulated in the course of millennia, in the course of thousands of years, of meditative experience. The veils of secrecy which certain esoteric teachings are treated by making use of language which can only be understood by initiates, has therefore its reasons not only in the intention of preventing others from obtaining such powers of knowledge, but in that of the protecting of the ignorant from the dangers which misuse of or superficial experimentation with these practices would bring about. And then it goes into the difference between Buddhism and Hinduism and maybe some of these dangers. The dangers of such practices are well, well recorded in all texts. I'll read some of the Bible for you, which also relates to this particular problem. Central to the understanding, this is from my book, The Way of Meditation. Central to the understanding of the problems of premature awakening of psychic perception, and thus the obtaining of the mysteries of the kingdom of God, is a key passage in the New Testament, Mark 4, 11-12. This is Jesus speaking. And he said unto them, Unto you it is given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God. He's talking to his twelve. But unto them who are without, all these things are done in parables, that seeing they may see and not perceive, and hearing they may hear and not understand, lest at any time they shall be converted and their sins be forgiven them. Now why is Jesus saying that in seeing they may see and not perceive, in hearing them I hear and not understand, lest at any time they should be converted and the sins um, should be forgiven them. And then he goes in the parable of the sower. Now, 
I state here, in a, in a later page, Mark 4, 11 to 12 has confounded the orthodox theologian for millennia. For surely, they would ask, the objective of Jesus' teachings would be to convert the listener to them, to make them see and perceive, hear and understand in such a way that their sins be forgiven them. The, they questioned us, for such conversion is the entire emphasis of the Christian religion, in other words, to turn into Christians, to make them see and hear and understand Jesus' works. With its rites of baptism, zealous proselytism, and even the avowed ability of Catholic priests to forgive the sins of those who approached them in the confessional. Rather than dealing with this vexing verse, the majority of commentators have opted out for their usual policy of avoidance, acting, acting as if the passage does not exist, as the best way of dealing with the context of that which they have no basis for understanding. The information of this passage is so important that it is repeated four more times in the Bible. First in the original passage in Isaiah 6, 8 to 12, where it is unjunction given directly to Isaiah from God. Also in Matthew 13, 15, John 14, 12, 40 and Acts 28, 27. The statement in Matthew 13, 15 is thus, referring to those who need to be spoken in parables. For this people's heart is wax gross, and their ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes have been closed, lest at any time they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, and should understand with their hearts, and should be converted, and I shall heal them. The ability to see with their eyes and hear with their ears refers to the internal eyes and ears, which are the chakras. When opened, they allow one to experience aspects of the inner realms, with the understanding that comes from their heart, chakras. Being stimulated, aspects of the mysteries of the kingdom of God would be perceived long before they are ready to receive them. Their grossness of heart, which lack of compassion and basic materialistic attitudes, and dullness of mind structure would mitigate against right perception. Really, referring here also to the lack of adequate vibrancy of the cellular and ethic substances of the brain, preventing such perceptions from being obtained. Such people would not undergo the training and preparation that Jesus' twelve apostles had, and who are given to know the mysteries. Um, thus, when such people come to be converted to aspects of these esoteric teachings, that they have no true capacity to understand, they'll commit the types of mistakes associated with possessing psychic powers and related glamours that will necessitate the demonstration of future healing work upon them. In other words, Jesus' statement, and I shall heal them, by the teacher. The teacher is always comically responsible for results of his teachings if the student earnestly follows them. If these teachings are productive of psychic disaster, then the teacher is doubly, doubly culpable for the effect of his erroneous or short-sighted teachings upon the mind and emotions of the student and for the disaster itself. To such students, the little that they have will be taken from them. Now, I'll go on and explain this in more detail, but I'm just pointing out that, that Jesus is, the twelve around Jesus was taught in the same way that uh, the disciples of Milarepa or Padman Samhavna or all these great yogis. They, they were waking chakras, they were waking finer forces. The average people that were around them that listened were taught in parables, so they would not hear the true, true teachings there. As um, Govinda said, the, the, there's a certain language given in these books for initiates, and only after they have proved themselves worthy to a, to a very capable, enlightened teacher would they be given the teachings associated with the awakening of the chakras and not before. And yet here in the West you see myriads of books and myriads of people 
um, trying to play around with these forces which all the ways um, stay the same thing. Yes, these chakras, these forces exist but come to us and we'll show you how to use them after you've learnt the laws of love, after you've demonstrated psychic purity. When you begin to awaken these energies, your body nature, your brain tissue has to be converted slowly from very dull, grossly vibrating substance to very, very high, light, clean substance that, that is singing out a tune. Drugs will not do that. No man of oming and, and, and um, omnamaya shivaying will do that. No man of chanting will do that. You've got to live a purity of life. You've got to start to clean your emotions. You've got to start to do a lot of visualization techniques with light and bringing more and more light in. And your gross substance has to be thrown out of you. And as it's thrown out, your karma must be cleansed. Nothing inside you that is corruptible or diseased can be if you are to awaken these chakras, if you're going to become healers, truly. I have on this blackboard here, on this board here, some works of um, one of my books. Um, this is a book I've written over about 20, 30 years, and it's called The Five Values in the Liberation Process, and this is the manuscript here of it. It's a book I can't, of course, publish because of the fact uh, of the reasons I've just mentioned. But here um, I have depicted the seven main chakras and the 22 minor ones associated with them. And there's also approximately 108 nadis that relate the main chakras to the minor ones. This type of information is not presented in any book, Hindu or Buddhist. It just does not exist, except you'll find sometimes in some Hindu books lots and lots of myriads of little nadis, of little flowers and things, um, which is a very veiled, distorted reference to this. These are the two levels um, of chakras. There are four levels of chakras to the body. There's another level underneath these 22 minor ones. It's 49 and then there's 343. And then you finally get to the acupuncture points on the surface of the body, um, which are the, the tiniest of all the chakras in the body. And the acupuncture points are just basically gateways they direct energy this way or they direct energy that way. And so when you put the needles in, you stop the energy flow to a proportion of the body and so you get anesthetic effects. Uh, the, the science of acupuncture was given out thousands of years ago um, to the Chinese by enlightened beings who could see clairvoyantly what the chakras are. They're chakras associated with the physical body. Um, these chakras exist in what we call the ethers, and there's four ethers, there's the dense physical, and there's three portions, the uh, liquid, the gross as you're sitting here, and the, the airy or the fiery, and then there's four etheric states where the chakras exist, and you can play around with the ethers, you can see them with, in your stone and things like that, it's the, the body of, of energy, where the nadis exist, and the chakras themselves, depending on the, the type of chakra, live on the the different states of the ethers depending again on the quality of the ether. The head center is on the highest of the ether and it's the most rarefied of all the energies and all the flowers and so we go down to the, these minor chakras which live on what we call the fourth ether. This is technical data and I don't want to bore you with too much technicalities but what I wanted to give you is, a, is an idea of the intricacy of, of chakras and um, these are just um, two levels of them. When um, you get to the head lotus there, which I've just drawn symbolically, 
for me to interrelate those chakras to head loaders, I did a diagram like this, which I'm just showing you very quickly. It doesn't mean much to you, but that diagram is eight foot in diameter, and uh, it's filled up with lesser lines and, um, and geometry, and that was the smallest. That was one quarter scale, the smallest size I could get to, um, to um, in such a way that would allow the interrelationship of the third eye with the head lotus. Um, the subject of the chakras is actually quite vast. There's far more to it than most people imagine. Now on the, the computer screen there, I have in this computer two chakras um, superimposed because esoterically the Arjuna center, the third eye and the head lotus overlap each other and they're really seen as one chakra and the base of the spine, the Muladhara chakra and the Svadhisthana chakra, the sacral center are also overlapped and they're seen as one chakra. Buddhism really sort of relates these two chakras and therefore we get five main huge chakras in Buddhism. The, the base of the spine and the sacral center overlapped as one relating to the earthy elements. The um, solar plexus chakra um, seen uh, relating to the watery elements. The heart center related to the airy elements. The throat center uh, related to the fiery elements. And then the head and the Arjuna center related to the um, element ether. And from these five elements, and the, we get the five values in, in Hinduism and in Buddhism, um, the five types of prana, which this particular book's about, um, term Vayana, I'll give you the actual description from the Hindu texts. Um, prana, the nadi from the nose to the heart, this relates to the buddhic plane. Samana, the nadi from the heart to the solar plexus, relate to the astral plane. Apana, the, nana, the nadi from the solar plexus to the feet, related to the dense physical plane. Urdana, the nadi from the nose to the top of the head, related to the mental plane. And Vyana, the sum total of all pranic energies. What I'm trying to point out here is that each nadi, each channel between all the petals in the chakras, contain five different types of prana. And these five types of prana uh, these ones I've just mentioned and these relate to the five groupings of chakras and the five groupings of chakras relate to the fact that a human being is a culturally a pentagram a head and torso and two arms, two legs it relates to the five principal types of energies the thinking capacity of a, of a man or a human being is mind and mind is the number five is the pentagram esoterically therefore both for black and white magic the pentagram has been a symbol of that because it relates to these chakras, to these pranas, to what a human being is. The inverted pentagram relates to black magic. The pentagram pointing up relates to the white magic. From these five um, pranas, then you get the five types of instincts and the five types of wisdom of Buddhism, and the five Dhyani Buddhas, the five Buddhas of meditation, and the sum total of Mahayana Buddhism stems from this, that whole philosophy. The five prongs of a doge, this particular symbol here, the Vajra or the Doje, has five prongs, five types of energy flow. And um, in one of my diagrams of the head lotus, you want to put the head lotus on? I don't have it here in the computer, the way that this Doje is formed um, through the petals of the head lotus and the mechanism where by the prongs of energy move the petals of this uh, interrelated clockwork me mechanism around. Um, that's in diagrams I've got at home. But what I want to point out is in Buddhism, in Tibetan Buddhism, the lamas and all enlightened beings, they often sit there with 
with the doge here or the bell. This is the Tibetan bell again of the doge at the front and top of the... Um, and this is a symbol of immutable power. And um, this comes from the diagram of the petals of the chakras. As shown here on this computer screen, you'll see, um, you'll see that the, the actual number of petals there is drawn in, in the various tiers. And um, there's actually 1,056 petals, symbolically 1,000. And um, this Vajra comes from that. And it's the reason why you see the Buddhists, the Tibetan Buddhists, have these in their hands. The Lamas, the average Lama and the average Toku, almost has no understanding, I'm pretty sure, of what this comes from. It comes from their books, and so they, they related, and of course, the great enlightened beings that gave them to them, this information to them a thousand or so years ago, have since died out. But what I'm pointing out here is that the, the vastness of the, the subject is far vaster than most people that are into the New Age have any uh, really idea of. And uh, the subject, also when you begin to understand the chakras properly, you also understand the way of constructing a UFO, for instance, you can travel into cosmic space. Uh, so the element Earth, which relates to the sacral center, the sacral center itself is the, the, the chakra, the six-petal lotus, is the chakra that um, distributes prana, these five types of prana, through the major petals of the major chakras. It's a physical sun inside the body. It has two small chakras associated with it, which, we call, which I call the gonad centers, and these two small gonad centers, the left and right gonads, are responsible for the energies that uh, create your sexuality, that uh, create your physical attraction to each other and things like that. It's a physical sun. And each chakra has the whole history of the human being stored in it. The constitution of the flowers, of the petals, it's more, more than just six petals of a, um, of a you know, sacral centre. There's just six major petals and there's a large number of smaller petals that make up it. The entire history of the sexuality of an individual is actually stored in the, in the, in the moving of the energies within those petals. You tanker with those petals prematurely and you start to awaken certain forces from past lives which you may not be ready to deal with at any particular time. So the sacral center deals with the energy of vitality, the energy that makes you healthy. The energy comes through what I call stage one um, prana of the entire um, circulation of, of energies in the body as given in my manuscript here. And they drawn from a number of sources. One, through your nose, through breathing. Two, directly through sunlight as it absorbs through your skin, specifically through a minor chakra between your shoulder blades. And... Um, also through animal magnetism. In other words, every human being, every living thing has a radiation field, a magnetic field. They send out prana and you also absorb from each other your, your energies that each person gives to each other and then from the food you eat. All of this gives you energy. Um, human interrelationship, your interrelationship with the environment in general, the energy you get from the sun and the energy you get from the eating of food is what is directed eventually to this particular sacral center and then the sacral center is a miniature sun in your body. It's 
redistributes the energy and then sends them off to the various directions they must go. The base of the spine chakra deals with the energies of the form, the energies of your physical body and its constitution, the way it's constructed. And as I said here, in this conjunction between the base of the spine and the sacral center is this energy called Kundalini stored. One, therefore, if you're dealing with healing or you're dealing with sexual and sexuality, you awaken and you utilize the energies from your sacral. The energy comes in via the small centers between your breasts and they circulate between um, uh, three, three tiny chakras, uh, two of them of the breasts and one between the shoulder blades, which I call the nose center. And eventually the energies, once they breathe in, they are fed to the heart chakra the heart is in contact, has a link which we call the Sutatma to your higher self, your soul and that energy then from the soul is fed via your heart and mixed with this prana that you've breathed in and once it's mixed with the prana that you've breathed in technically the prana becomes it's called jiva in the Sanskrit terminology this jiva is then sent down to the splenic center the spleen is a dual minor chakra and there's two um, chakras superimposed upon each other. The bottom wheel that's turning, all these chakras are turning, that's what the chakra means, it just simply means a wheel. A wheel that's turning, it's a wheel of energy that's spinning. And uh, it has certain types of radiation lines of energy coming from it and these are spokes of energy. And when you look in my books you'll find that the flowers, the petals of a chakra are formed through energy, serpentine energy um, and when you get two waves of serpentine energy uh, then you get uh, a petal of a lotus uh, two more waves of serpentine energy and you get another petal of a lotus that's the way it is, it's all just vortices of energy interrelating ultimately it's all that is energy and consciousness 